into God's Word, uh, let me just say I'm so grateful to the team uh, that is running Fearless Acres. Um, you know, some people have looked at this and said, is the church getting into the business of selling land? And I just want to say that's not what this is. I think one of the things that we are seeking to do is be faithful as a church in Africa to raise resources for God's work. And every cent that has come out of this is going directly into the relocation and the bills. We actually have a bill. We want to pay our contractor. And so thank you for every one of you who's purchased that land because we're using every cent that comes in to be able to offset the bills here. And I'm very excited about that team. I'm also excited about our facilities team. And this morning, I want to commend every single one of them. Have you noticed every week, it's like every week you come, something has happened. And every time I come into this space, I'm so excited to see just little, just signs of life. And there's a team here led by Mr. Kabuki and others who've just been working every week. Can we just appreciate them? Uh, They're doing a fantastic, fantastic job. And uh, some of you have been asking about uh, uh, what's happening with the move and the relocation. Where have we reached? And we need to bring an update, and we know that. And we're going to be bringing that to you in the next few weeks. But let me just say one thing that I'm really excited about. Tell your neighbor, finally. How many of you have struggled with this road? Like from the main road to get here, it's like, when is it going to get done? And I just want to say, uh, glory to God, that this is the week the work begins. And we are so... So, so excited about that. And I thank God for the whole team that's been working. It's taken a whole lot of coordination to bring all the developers in this area together. Finally, everything has come together. We have the resources and the contractor from uh, Machakos County government. And we intend to start the work this week. There'll be a little bit of an inconvenience to us because the first thing they want to do is uh, do the bridge over the river that you, you don't even know you cross a very big river when you come. And we want to make sure that that bridge is secured. And so we're going to start that work this week. And the, the, the major change to our schedule is most of you have used the exit route, uh, the back route uh, coming out. If you haven't, today is a good chance to explore it uh, because from next week, we're probably going to have to use it for the next few weeks until they finally made the road uh, usable. And so we're going to try and put some signage on that. But as you leave today, make a chance to turn, turn left instead of right and you'll be able to explore that. And we're going to, it's going to be a bit of an inconvenience, but we see that lasting just a few weeks until we're able to get the road in place. Somebody say glory to God. We're so, so excited about what God is doing there. And then the last thing I'll do is just give a praise report uh, regarding our giving. Um, <laughs> this last month, uh, we gave, uh, you know, I'm still staggered by the giving of Mavuno Church. This is one of the most generous churches uh, that I've ever known. And our giving this last month was 16.5 million Kenya shillings. And I think we can give glory to God. Glory to God for that. I, I'm... <laughs> I'm flabbergasted by it. I mean, 12.7 of that was our Tyson offerings, and about 3.8 of that was for our Count Me, and many of you are still uh, passionate and giving towards making sure that we can pay all our bills and be able to settle this land, uh, because it is costing us to do all the changes you're seeing. And so I just want to praise God for every one of you. I want to say this. I think the reason why that staggers me so much, uh, many of you noticed when we moved, not everybody from Bellevue moved here. And quite a few of our friends moved to other churches, maybe found this inconvenient. Our numbers are definitely about, maybe about 60% of what they were when we were at Bellevue. We thank God because we know we will grow, but that's where we are. And for me to see 60% of the people who are at Bellevue give what we would have given at Bellevue, it tells me that there is commitment, there is passion uh, in this church for the work of God. And I bless the Lord for every one of you. I was so encouraged 
this last month. I mean, I, I can tell you as a staff team, there are times we've been discouraged in this move. We've wondered, Lord, are you still walking with us? How is this going to work? And I think I've seen so much evidence in the last few months that God is still passionate about the work here. And he's still working with us to be able to turn ordinary people into fearless influencers of society. And so I bless God for every one of us. And let's just keep serving. Let's keep giving because I believe that God is going to use us to do some spectacular things that will change this nation. Now, I'll say this, for those of you who are new, you, you probably don't know we do this, but every year we put up the audited accounts uh, of this church. Uh, we don't have to, but we do it because we want to. We want to walk in accountability. And so in the next week, probably by Friday, uh, they, they're a bit delayed this year because of the move and everything. We, we took a little longer with our audit than we normally do. Uh, but our auditors are done. We have the reports. We've been, they've been authorized by the elders to put them up. And so by Friday this week, we're hoping they'll be up. And they'll be open for any one of you to go up there, look at them, query them. If you have any questions, you can write in to us. And we'll be glad to answer and make sure that we're accountable for every cent uh, that is given to the work of God in this church. Now, I'm so excited because we started a new series this last month. And this last week has been phenomenal, just engaging with different ones of you uh, on social media, uh, different ones of you uh, asking questions, blogging about it. Uh, for our visitors, we, every week after the sermon, we, we, we interact with it. We go on our blog. You can access it, access it on our website, www.mavunochurch.org. And there were some great contributions this week. I want to read one of them by a person called Kelvin. Kelvin said, uh, tears were flowing down my cheeks through the sermon as I realized I had made a God of my creation. I've trusted God for financial breakthrough to go back to school, but wapi. If you're sitting next to somebody who doesn't understand the language, what does that mean? But where? <laughs> Which doesn't make any sense in English, but what it means is to no avail, basically. I've, I've, I've prayed for a different job for quite a while now, to change my CV, but wapi. I've tried even to use connections, still nothing in sight, not even a regret letter. I've applied, I've applied for scholarships, just to be told, sorry, you do not qualify, with no significant achievements in my life. I ended up forgetting that it's the same God who protected me, having grown up minus my father and mother, with only a struggling grandmother. It is this same God who enabled me to pass all my exams, it is this same God who took me through campus despite financial challenges without sitting a single supplementary exam. It is this same God that I earnestly prayed for and he gave me my current job. It is this same God who healed me of high blood pressure. And then he says to himself, oh poor Kev, you forget so easily what the Lord has done. I choose to trust you once more, Lord, even when it hurts. You are the God of all creation, not of my creation. And I bless God for you, Kev. Bless the Lord for you, Kev. I bless God for opening your eyes to see that. And I'm so encouraged to hear you sharing it. And I want to just encourage the rest of us. Let's keep, keep tweeting, keep Facebooking, keep blogging. You don't know how many people you'll encourage uh, by your own processing of what God is doing in your life. I pray that God will bless us all, remind us of what he's done for us as we go through, uh, through this series. Now, we started this last series last week about the universal frustration we all feel when God is Mteja, which again is another Swahili word, which means what? Literally, it means when God is subscriber, but that's not what we're really saying. <laughs> that's not what we're saying this month. Uh, colloquially, what it really means is when God is unavailable, isn't it? And we're talking about what, what, what do you do when God is unavailable, when God just doesn't seem to pay attention to your needs and to your concerns. 
And you know, sometimes it gets really challenging because sometimes the things you're asking God for are reasonable things. You're asking God to intervene on, on your behalf, on behalf of your family, your health, your marriage, whatever it is. And you're not asking him for huge things. You're not asking him for things that are big. You're not saying, God, I want to be rich. You're just saying, God, I just want a job so I can pay my bills. You're not asking him uh, for, 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 for big things that are unexplainable, for luxury. You're only asking for the things that are reasonable. And you know that that's what you're asking for. You don't need a brand new Range Rover Sport. You just need transport to get to work, isn't it? And sometimes you're asking God, you're saying to God, God, I don't need, I'm not asking for tall, dark, and handsome. I just need a godly man. That's all I want, Lord. Surely, this is, well, no, maybe not that one. <laughs> and you're saying, God, this is all I want. I just want something reasonable. The bare necessities of life. Lord, this is what I'm asking you for. And sometimes it just seems that God will not even give you those things that are necessary. Those things that any good father would want to give his children. And you find yourself sometimes not even in a place where this has happened for a day or for a week, but for seasons where God seems unavailable. And you know, when we've been in those seasons for long, we begin to doubt the character and sometimes even the existence of God. You begin to think, does God really love me? Was it something I did? Is it that I don't qualify for his blessings? Is it that God is really good or maybe he isn't? And maybe you even find yourself asking, does God really exist or has he been the figment of my imagination? Because you know, if God exists, and God has power, he can do whatever he wants, and God really loves me, then surely he would have done this thing that I desperately need so much. And so last week, we began to ask ourselves these questions. We looked at the story of a man who loved God, a man who lived out his purpose, and yet at his deepest point of need, when God really should have been doing something, God was silent. And we learned this very difficult lesson in the form of a question and it was, will you trust God's plan, or will you make a God who fits your plan? Now today we want to look at a very different man in scripture. <laughs> a person who got a completely different response from God. And the title of our message is, When God Says No. When God Says No. If you turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to be reading from verse 7 to 10. 2 Corinthians Chapter 12, from verse 7 to 10. And as you turn there, as is customary, I want to paint a little context for our story, just to help you understand the person we're going to be reading about. His name was Paul, the Apostle Paul. And Paul was a high achiever. He had been originally a very driven high achiever who was offended by Christianity. His mission in life was to stamp it out once and for all. And he was driven by those convictions to pursue Christians wherever he could find them and use the law to put them in prison. And he harassed, he, he took men and, he, and women and he threw them into prison. And he felt he was helping the world by getting rid of this menace called Christianity. And one day on, on, on one of his missions to a city called Damascus, to his shock and amazement, Jesus appeared to him in a bright light and gave him a new mission. And from that day forward, Paul's mission was changed. Paul's mission was to go out to the whole world and to preach about this same Jesus 
who he had been persecuting. Now, God has a sense of humor, isn't it? I mean, because Paul is one of the guys he uses the most in the Bible. And God, God is interesting because, you know, some of you were the least likely people for God to use. Yeah? Look at your neighbor. I mean, some of them I know, they look spiritual and don't be intimidated. <laughs> but there are some of you who know that even according to your friends, you have no business being in church this morning. You are not that kind of person. But God has such a sense of humor because today it is your life that he's using to bless your colleagues at work. And it is you that your family is looking up to, to pray for them. And I suspect God is just smiling in heaven. Because in once, in a, once upon a time, you thought Christianity was irrelevant. And you thought maybe it was even dangerous for people, like the Apostle Paul. And so Paul spent the next 20 years of his adult life getting onto ships, traveling across the world, sharing the good news of Jesus. And in the process, he faced much opposition from hostile skeptics like he had once been. He was shipwrecked. He was almost drowned. He was beaten many times with stones and with sticks. He was thrown out of towns many times and he crawled back. He was bitten by snakes. And yet, despite all this, Paul was faithful. Paul kept going back. Paul kept preaching about this Jesus. But even as he preached, Paul had a big problem. It was such a massive problem, a recurring and agonizing problem. Paul called it his thorn, a thorn in his flesh. Now, if you've ever stepped on a thorn, you know how bad and painful that can be. You know how agonizing it is to walk. In fact, you're going to do everything you can to just stop and pull it out. And sometimes you have to dig it out. But you prefer the pain of digging to the pain of the thorn, isn't it? And Paul talks about this problem as a thorn. Something that had been in his flesh for a long time. Something that had bothered him, agonized him. And yet he couldn't just simply dig it out. What the thorn in the flesh was is a, a something that has been speculated over over the centuries. Some scholars think it was epilepsy or maybe a for, uh, some, some mental illness like depression. And some scholars think this is what he suffered from. In those days, uh, somebody who had seizures or who had a mental illness was considered to be oppressed by demons. And so maybe Paul, this is what the thing that plagued him. Other people think he had a chronic illness like malaria or something like that. Other people think it was his weak eyesight that he had such bad eyesight, and it just made it difficult for him to operate. Now, we don't know exactly what it was. The one thing we know is that wherever he went, it was something that plagued him. It was something that disturbed him. It was a constant and painful hindrance. This thing held him back. This thing maybe even embarrassed him. I wonder whether at some point as he prayed for people, people said, uh, now wait a minute, Pastor Paul. You say that God is with you. But how come you have this issue? How come he hasn't come through for you in this issue? And I wonder whether this thing embarrassed him at different times. What we, what we know in the Bible is that it was such a bad thing that he went back to God over and over. And he asked God to take away this thing. And I'm sure when he went to God, he was extremely certain that God would heal him. I mean, after all, he was Paul, the apostle Paul. After all, he was a man who was loved by God. After all, he was a man God had even used to heal many others. And so why not himself? And so you can imagine his shock when the answer God gave him was no. I imagine I mean, ask yourself, how? 
In fact, I wonder if Paul didn't say at some point, I think I'm hearing voices. Surely, that can't have been God. <laughs> Let me pray again. Because God can't tell me no. I mean, I'm the Apostle Paul. I'm serving him. He loves me. He's with me. And so he goes back to God and he prays. And God tells him, no. And maybe he goes to God and says, God, do you understand how inconveniencing this thing is? Do you understand how it hinders me from doing your work? God, help me. Take this thing away. But God's answer was still no. It's like you're saying to Paul, Paul, I know you. I called you. I love you. I will use you. In fact, your writings will be quoted for centuries to come. You will be one of the most famous people in the world. You will write over half of the New Testament. I know all that. But my answer is still no. Amen. You know, it's so, so interesting. Paul was such an incredibly influential person. There have been very many famous people in the world who have ruled this world. People like Napoleon, people like Julius Caesar. But let me ask a question. How many people called Paul in the house? Let me just see. How many of you have are called the name Paul? Just raise your hand. Any Pauls in the house? Yeah, you can see them. There are many. Yeah, they're there. It's amazing, huh? People are still being named after him. <laughs> and yet God's answer to him was, no. Why, why would God tell him no? How could God give such a flat answer to somebody who deserved, who was not asking for something unreasonable? Paul wasn't asking for riches. He was asking for something that would help him be more effective as a minister of the gospel. How could God say no to somebody in that situation? Let's read now, because this is the context for what we're about to read. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 to 10, and it says this. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. Paul is saying this. He's saying this thing that is afflicting me, it is so awful that it feels like it came from the devil himself. And in fact, Paul was convinced this was a demonic affliction, something that the devil had sent to afflict him. And so he did what you and I would do if the devil attacked us. He went to God and he says, take this thing away from me. I'm your servant. Help me. And verse 8, you can see it. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now, three times, you need to understand here, it doesn't mean that he prayed on Friday morning and then Friday night and then Saturday morning. <laughs> it's not like that. Paul is talking about seasons of prayer. He entered into spaces where maybe he took a long time to fast and to pray and to set himself apart and to talk to God and to listen quietly to him. And he said, Lord, I'm going to seek your face until you lift this thing from me. Three different times in his life, he took off to be able to seek God just for this thing that he calls a thorn. And maybe he fasted, maybe he prayed, maybe he cried. The one thing we know is he uses different words. He says, I pleaded with God. Some versions say, I begged God. Have you ever begged God for something? You know how it is when you beg? You make promises, isn't it? You say, God, God, I'll serve you. God, I'll give more. I'll come to church. By the way, I'll serve in church my whole life. I'll, I'll give my tithe, my whole salary next month to the church. God, I won't even, I'll even stop overlapping in traffic. Just save me. And you know, you bargain with God. You, you, you plead with him. 
And maybe Paul was pleading with God. Now, you know, it's very interesting. We like to sing that song in church. When Jesus says yes, nobody can say no. I love that song. But have you ever thought about the opposite scenario? When Jesus says no, nobody can say yes. <laughs> I mean, God himself has slammed the gates of heaven in your face. By the way, that will never be a worship song in church. I can tell you right now. There's no time the worship song, will, the worship team will ever sing that and you guys raise your hands. When Jesus says no. Nobody delights in that. Nobody takes pleasure in that kind of answer. What happens when God refuses to do something reasonable and yet you know he's the God of heaven and earth? He has the power. He created the world by his words. Surely he just needs to lift a little finger and your problem will go away. Why wouldn't he use, apply himself on behalf of somebody he says he loves? Why is he saying no to my reasonable request? Verse 9, this is what Jesus said to him. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. Now, note this. He's, he's telling Paul, Paul, I'm not going to give you what you're asking for. Why? Because all you need right now is my grace. And so just lay back, relax, get used to it. Jesus. Why? Because all you need is my grace. Now some of you are in that situation where right now you're probably thinking, I don't want to hear something like that in my life. What, what do you mean? What is grace? Like the poem asked, I mean, what, who told you that I don't know your grace is sufficient? What is this even grace about? What is grace in the first? Define grace. Have you ever told God? Define grace. What is that? Well, grace simply means the divine resources necessary to bear the weight of your, of your situation. It's unearned, but it's divine. It comes from God, and it's sufficient for your situation. It's the ability to get through it and see another day. It's the ability to go to work and endure one more time. It's the ability to come home another afternoon not knowing what you're coming to. Grace is the ability and the energy and the faith to keep going regardless of the fact that your situation has not changed. God is saying, I will be with you in that storm. And some of you are asking, God, I, I like the fact that you'll be with me, but why do you have to be with me in the storm? Take the storm away! God is saying, I will be with you in that storm. Now, many of you have probably been in that situation like Paul, where you've maybe even thought, God, I don't think you understand where I am right now. I don't think you get it. I don't think you get how this fighting is destroying my family. I don't think you get how this recurring illness is cutting short my potential. I don't think you get how these marriage problems are hurting us and hurting our children. I don't think you understand how this lack of an education is keeping me back from the open doors that would be there. I don't think you understand how this inability to have children is destroying my relationship with my in-laws and with my parents 
and with my wife. God, I don't think you get me. You don't understand. And God, I'm not asking for something unreasonable. I'm asking for something any reasonable father would want to give his children. You see, none of us like to take no for an answer. <laughs> and it makes it even worse when it comes from God. Because when God says no, then I can't go anywhere else. God is supposed to be the giver of all good things. So how do I take it when God tells me no? Now here's where I find God's no very interesting. Because when God says no, he has a promise attached to his no. And this is what it says then, verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, what does this mean? It means simply this, that God's power is best experienced by us and seen by others in our moments of weakness. This is what this means. And here's what basically he's saying. I think this is what I learn when I read this passage, that my weakness is my opportunity to experience God's strength. My weakness, you know, we don't often think of weakness as opportunity. But my weakness is my opportunity to experience God's strength. You know, this is not easy, nor is it natural. I'll tell you what's natural. It's more natural to want to be the girl on TV holding the big, big oversized check written 10 million shillings saying, I love you, Jesus. It's more natural to want to be that candidate being carried shoulder high by the village, singing Wanamberi, because you're the highest in your, in your village, isn't it? It's more natural to want that. It's more natural to want to be Lupita holding the Oscar. <laughs> Looking at the rest of you people, saying, your dreams. <laughs> your dreams are valid. And maybe even saying, I give thanks to God for this. That's where we want to be. That's what's natural. That's what we long for. That's the natural thing that we want. You see, we want God to get glory from our lives. But we want it to be on the platform of our success, not our weakness. That's the natural thing. And that's why we love to wait for those times. Many of us are waiting for the time we can give our victory testimony. You know the victory testimonies? I mean, every week, every, every year this, in this church, end of the year, we have an opportunity to give our testimonies of what the year has been like. We have a whole service, an unplugged service, where people just, anybody can, can speak and just share what the year has been like, what God has done. And many of us are hoping we have a victory testimony by the end of that year. This is when we want to testify about the fantastic job that God gave me. Six-figure job that has fantastic benefits and a wonderful boss. I mean, this is what we want. We want to testify about that illness that everybody said couldn't be healed and God just pop! It went. The doctors tested and they couldn't see it. We want to testify how the, all the doctors said we'd never have children and we got triplets. Is that what we want to testify about? I mean, these are the kind of testimonies that make us say, wow, God is so amazing. He's so good. But you know, I've come to understand, even when we have those testimonies, as much as I enjoy the victory testimonies, the testimonies that change me, the testimonies that take my faith up to the next level, are those testimonies where people say, I'm still in the storm. Things haven't changed. This has been a difficult year, but God is still on the throne of my life. And I love it when people do that. I love it. 
I said, I said, this is real faith. That is a person who knows God. You know, it's easy to praise God when everything is going well, isn't it? But when you see that person, you say, my goodness, what a faith. That's the kind of faith that I hope that I would have. Faith that praises God in the middle of the storm. You know, you sometimes go to visit. Have you had that experience? You've gone to visit somebody in hospital. You've gone to visit somebody bereaved. You've gone to visit somebody who's in trouble. And you went to encourage them. But you spent a few minutes with them and you came out encouraged. And you left thinking, what kind, what kind of person is that? I'm actually the one who was blessed being with them. And many times in that situation, you say, oh my goodness, there has to be a God in their life. Because only God could cause beauty in a place of ashes. Only God could cause a testimony where all I expected to come was to find a mess and a problem. Only God could do that. And so I've come to understand that these are some of the, these are, by the way, to be honest, these are some of the most amazing Christians you'll ever meet. When people who testify that way, my weakness is my opportunity to experience God's strength. This is what this passage is telling me. You see, it's only when it's darkest, when it's really dark, the light of a candle is brightest. It's only when my life is just not holding together that the tangible power of God can be felt most in my life. This is the reality. When God says no, he's not talking about his lack of love for me. He's not doing that because he loves others more than me. Sometimes God simply wants me to experience a supernatural strength, a strength I will never experience when everything is holding together. And God is saying, let my grace be sufficient for you. Don't run away from that thing. Embrace it. Let my grace be sufficient. You will experience a power that you never could on your own strength. And that's why Paul says in verse 10, he says something extremely radical. I find this the most radical thing in all scripture. He says, that is why, for Christ's sake, I, what does he say? I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in persecutions, in difficulties. Why? For when I am weak, then I'm strong. You see, Paul moved up away from the place where he was just learning to take no from an answer, for an answer. He moved to the place where he began to delight. That's kind of strange, isn't it? <laughs> so, so here you are. You're, you're in a place where... So, so think about it even with your earthly father. Uh, Daddy, can I have this? Or oh, your child, huh? Daddy, can I have this? No. Hey, wow. <laughs> kind of looks messed up, doesn't it? <laughs> you look at this here, what, what do you mean you delight? But Paul began to realize that God could turn his weaknesses into something beautiful. And so it's like when things go wrong, Paul begins to say, my goodness, I can't wait to see what my father is going to do with the mess. And he's like, you know what, I'm not going to despair because I know my God is in control. And I can walk in confidence. And I don't have the answers. But I know God can make beauty out of ugliness. I know God can turn the mess in my life into something that testifies for his glory in generations to come. That's the kind of God that we follow and we serve. <laughs> my weakness is an opportunity to experience God's strength. You know, as Christians, we've been taught that if you just have enough faith, 
then your life will turn out a certain way. This is how we've been taught in church, isn't it? People who have faith, I mean, they don't have problems, they avoid issues, they prosper. I mean, this is kind of the thing we've been taught. And the problem sometimes is people even teach us that if you look bad, God will end up looking bad. So what do we do? When you're going through a crisis, you don't even want to admit to yourself that you're going through a crisis. Hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm so awesome, praise God. (laughs) You're bleeding inside. You're sitting in that life group. Your marriage is tearing apart. Your, your, your divorce is nailing a, nose, a, a, a nail in your coffin. Your children are, are, are rebelling. They are failing in school. And you dare not show people how badly you're doing. And so you sit there, faking it, hoping you'll make it one day. And this is almost like a Hollywood, Hollywoodinized version of Christianity, where we're all supposed to look good, where we're all faking it, where none of us is being real with our issues, where we are fearing to fail, to share our failures, our ugly parts, the skeletons in our closets, the addictions we're struggling with, the challenges of sin in our lives, the imperfections, the failure. We're afraid of those things, and we don't want to admit them. But you know, the thing about it is God's solution may not be to take away that thing. It may actually be to lift that thing up and make it a beautiful thing that will be a blessing to his church. That may be what God is saying to somebody here today. I'm not going to take it away. You're asking me to take away that pain or that sorrow. But I want you to have a real faith. And if you just allow me, I will lift it up and I will do something beautiful with it. Your weakness is your opportunity. You know, there are plenty of times that God is going to use your strengths. And he's going to use the things that are beautiful about you. And he's going to use your victories to glorify himself. And I thank God that he's going to use all those things. But I think what we need to be aware of as real Christians is that there are also times when God will delight in using our weakness, in using our failure, in using our pain to do something supernatural and bring beauty. And that's why I desire for this church that we will be a church of real people, with real issues before a real God. That we won't be a pretend church. By the way, you notice when I preach, I tell you things about myself. I, I, I don't try and make myself this perfect pastor because I'm not. I know I have issues. And my prayer is, as I share my issues, you'll be able to say, okay, if the pastor has issues, I can allow myself to have some. Because we all have issues. We're all struggling. We all sometimes struggle with doubt. We struggle with we, we fear whether we'll make it. And my prayer is that we'll be real before God. Because God cannot work with a fake person. God cannot work with religion. He only works with real people who are open to his real salvation. And this is what he was looking for in Paul. This is what God, our Father, wants. Tell your neighbor, your weakness is your opportunity to experience God's strength. This is what God is saying. Now, here's the thing that's very sobering. I think this is so true you will never experience God's perfect power. Jesus says, my, my, perfect, my power is made perfect in weakness. You will never experience God's perfect power unless you learn to take his no and to embrace his glory in your weakness. This is what we are. This is, this is the kind of faith that we are called to. You will never experience it unless you learn to be weak. It's, it's a bit of a paradox, isn't it? Because we're always taught to be strong. <laughs> But you never will experience God's power 
unless you embrace that weakness and allow God to do something beautiful with it. I, I, I watched, I once had the privilege of sitting in, a, in an audience and listening to one of the most amazing people I've ever met. Uh, she was a beautiful lady, beautiful inside and beautiful outside. And she was one of the most powerful speakers that I'd ever, I'd ever heard. And she spoke and left all of us in tears. And she spoke with such conviction and passion. And at the end of us, as she spoke, you could just feel God's power in that room. It was so obvious that she was anointed. Every word she said just made sense. And the most amazing thing was just the beauty, the radiance of Christ in this person's life. Her name is Johnny Erickson. And some of you have heard about her story. And this is her picture. And I wanted us to just listen to a little clip where she talks about her story. Because jo Johnny is quadriplegic. At a very early age, she had an accident that left her paralyzed. And it gave her an incredible story. She has painted <laughs> masterpieces. Using her mouth, by the way. Uh, she's uh, one of the most gifted artists. She sung a song that was actually nominated for an Oscar. She has changed thousands of lives across the world with her story. And one of the things that she taught me is, God can take my mess and make beauty out of it. Even the attacks of hell in my life, God can turn those into something beautiful. I want to end with a story. There's this pot bearer who used to carry two pots to the river. This is a story in India. Some of you may have heard it. And the two pots were on the end of a big stick that he put on his neck to help him support them. And every day he walked down to the river, he filled the pots, and he walked back home with the pots. One of the pots was perfect, beautiful. The other pot had a crack and a flaw. And so every time when he came home, the full pot would deliver a full uh, amount of water. But the one with a crack would only bring half, would only be half full by the time he got home. And one day, after about two years of doing this, the cracked pot, struggling with a sense of failure, a sense of guilt, a sense of shame, finally decided to speak up. And it said to the man, why haven't you bothered to do something about me? Why haven't you fixed me up? And of course, this man was a little shocked that his pot was talking to him. But after he got over his shock, he said, what are you talking about? And the pot said, for the past two years, I've only lived up to half of my potential because this crack in my side causes water to leak out of me. Despite, because of my flaws, you do all the work, but you will never get the full potential of what I'm supposed to give for your efforts. The pot bearer, he smiled, and he looked at the pot compassionately, and he said, I've always known about that crack. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever noticed the beautiful flowers along the path on the way home? And the pot said, of course I've noticed them. Every day on the way home, you stop by to pick up some of those flowers. How could I not have noticed them? But what does that have to do with the crack on my side? And the pot bearer said, I knew about the crack. And so what I did is I planted flower seeds along the path. And every day as we walked back from the river, it's your side that got watered. And if not for your crack, 
I would not have all these beautiful flowers that have made my home beautiful for the last two years. You see, that crack is what has brought beauty to my life and to my home. And I want to speak to somebody here today who's been feeling like a cracked pot. You've been feeling there's some things that have held you back, kept you from your potential. You've been crying out to the pot maker, why aren't you doing something about me? Why aren't you fixing me? And here's what I want to say, that your weakness is your opportunity to experience God's power. That the pot maker can make something beautiful out of the flaws of your life. If you'll only bring them to him and say, God, here it is. You use this. As imperfect as I feel I am, use me and glorify yourself. And I want to pray for somebody today as we conclude. I just sense that this is a, a good point for me to end and, and conclude in prayer. We're going to be praying over the last, over, over, over the many impossible things in our lives at the end of this month. Remember I said that we have a time of prayer and worship end of this month, the 28th. The thing I like about this passage is that it gives us permission to pray about our thorn. <laughs> Isn't that, is that true? Paul says, three times I prayed, I, I, I pray, even though I had no, I still prayed. And maybe you're not even sure it's a no yet, maybe something else hasn't moved. And so what we're going to be doing at the end of this month, we're going to be praying and asking God to do something about those flaws in our lives, those cracks, those, those difficult things in our lives. If you know somebody who needs to be here, start, start, start praying right now and asking God to show you how to bring them. If you need to be here, plan to be here as well. Next week, next week is a surprise. You, you can't miss next week. You want to be here. So enough said. But I want to pray right now. And I want to pray for somebody who has been struggling with a thorn in their flesh. There's been a pain. It's been something you asked God for. God said no. You've been bitter with it. You've wondered why God did not answer this reasonable prayer request. And today, you want to pray a prayer of surrender. And it's a prayer that says, God, should you choose to bless me in this way, I will bless you. I will rejoice in you. But should you choose not to take this thorn away from me, I will rejoice in my weakness. Because my weakness is my opportunity to experience your strength. And I know that this is not an easy prayer for some of you because this thing that you're praying and saying, God, I give it up to you. It's something you've been holding on to for a long time. And for some of you, you're going to have to pry those fingers away and ask God, Lord, help me to give this thing up and release it to you because you know what's best for me. And if you're here, I want to just invite you to come into, to stand up because I want to pray for you and pray with you as you enter that place of surrender. So just stand up wherever you are. This is you, God has been speaking through to you. In this whole message, he's been shouting at you. You've been hearing his voice. Come on, let's appreciate them as they stand up all across the room. They're saying, Lord, I give it up to you. I give it up to you. I open my hands. You know, you'll never be blessed if your hands are like this. You cannot receive. And you're saying, Lord, I open up my hands for whatever blessing you have for me. Even if it's blessing in weakness, I embrace it, Lord. I choose to receive that. Not my plan for myself. Your grace will be sufficient for me. 
Lord, if it means I stay single, this is a dangerous prayer, but you're saying, Lord, if it means I stay single, Lord, if it means my marriage doesn't get fixed, and I've been praying for that, you know I've been praying for that. Lord, if it means I don't get a job and my finances don't change. Lord, if it means, whatever it is, I will no longer fight you for this. But Lord, I choose to release it to you and to say your will be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Let's appreciate them one more time, wherever they're standing. And I know for some of you, this is a, a decision you make with tears. I'm going to ask you to put out your hand in front of you like this. And what you're doing is symbolizing, Lord, my hands are open from this day forward. I'm yours. Father, I thank you for every brother, every sister who has heard from their God this morning, heard from their father. Maybe in the past they've been puzzled. Why haven't you answered this reasonable request? But today your word has come so clearly to us. My grace is sufficient for you. My power will be made known even in your weakness. And Lord, they're coming to say, Lord, if, it, if you choose to work in my weakness, so be it. I'll be faithful to you. I will serve you. Now, Lord, teach me how to delight in this situation. Ask God, Lord, teach me how to delight in this. Teach me how to find joy even in this circumstance. And Lord, maybe one day you will choose to take this circumstance away from me. But until that time, Lord, help me to learn to enjoy you even in my situation. And Father, I thank you for these, your sons and daughters, as they pray this prayer to their father. I pray that, Lord, in every one of those situations, grace, 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 all-sufficient grace. I pray in every one of those situations, God's perfect power in weakness. I pray that, Lord, in the pain, that we will not, never give up on you. We will hold on to you. We will love you and cling to you. And so I thank you for every single one of your sons and daughters. And I pray that, Lord, this will be a turning point. This will be a new place, Lord. When you begin to bring testimonies out of those tests, out of that mess, a message begins to form. Something that will be a blessing to many in time to come. And so I bless you, Lord, and we thank you. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's glorify God. Bless the Lord. If you just stand to your feet now, I want to conclude our time together. G, can, can you give me a different key for that song? I'd love to sing it. Jesus, how I trust you. It's a great song. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust you. What you're just playing just now. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust you. How I've proved him more. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. Jesus, precious Jesus, pray, oh, for grace to trust you more. Oh, for grace to trust. There's wisdom in that old song, isn't there? Can we sing that one more time as our blessing and as our confession? Jesus, Jesus, how I trust you, how I've proved him over and over. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, 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 precious Jesus, 
Oh, for grace. Oh, for to trust you more. To trust you more. Father, I speak blessing over your children. May this be our testimony, Lord. May this be our blessing this week. Grace to trust you more. All sufficient grace. As we walk through this week, Lord, as we face mountains at work in our business, as we face mountains in our families, as we face mountains all around us, I pray that, Lord, you would give us grace to trust you more. Move us away from a place of trusting in our strength. Move us in a place of trusting in your perfect strength. Your grace is sufficient for us. And so I pray over your children here at Mavuno Church, Lord. Everyone, I pray that, Lord, you would distinguish them as they walk through this nation. May they be Christians of a difference. May they be trusters of God. May people look at them and say, my goodness, what is that? What kind of faith would cause somebody to trust, to be encouraged, to have hope, regardless of their circumstances? Mavuno Church, this is my blessing to you. I bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And God's people say together, Amen. amen. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. As you go, I'll just say one last thing I was asked to announce. You're going to find some boxes. Some of you came late and you didn't have a chance to give your tithes. There's a box there that helps you to do that. Uh, also, if you need to sign up for Ndoa or Leah or Mizizi, please make sure you stop by and sign up for that. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.